Well, good morning. It's great to be back uh, together uh, with you uh, today. Uh, Tan and I had a great uh, time away, but we are delighted to be back. I am particularly thankful uh, for Michael, who did a fantastic job the last three Sundays preaching three sermons on the throne of God. I, I, I know that they were great because not only did I listen to them, but many of you have told me uh, how deeply encouraged you were by those sermons. And so if you miss them, they are available on podcasts. Just go to iTunes. If you don't know how, ask a seven-year-old. Go to iTunes and, and, and type in um, Alliance Bible Fellowship messages, and you will be able to catch up. If you missed any of those, I encourage you. They're, they're great sermons. Some of you are um, old enough uh, to remember the 1970 rock musical, Jesus Christ Superstar. It garnered international acclaim and appropriately conservative criticism. It's frankly blasphemous. The author of the musical's lyrics, Tim Rice, is quoted as denying the deity of Jesus, but he suggested that Jesus was just the right man at the right place at the right time, which to me actually makes no sense. If he was not deity, that is, if he was not God in the flesh, then his death meant absolutely nothing. He was, in fact, the wrong man at the wrong place at the wrong time. Regardless, that particular musical has remained somewhat popular, I was interested to find, even to the present day. A London theater put it on last year to such a claim that they plan to do so again this year. But you don't actually have to fly all the way to London to see it. In our own country, you can go watch it, well, Today, at the uh, Bristol Riverside Theater up in Pennsylvania, where it's been performed the last couple of weeks and will continue to be performed until its final show on April 16th, which is Easter. The musical's title track, Jesus Christ Superstar, is sung by none other than, than Judas Iscariot, who says the following, Every time I look at you, I don't understand why you let the things you did get so out of hand. <laughs> so there you have it. I mean, Jesus was a good man, but he, but he just let things get out of control. He, he never intended for his movement to be so viciously uh, attacked. He never intended to die, so sings Judas. In fact, the song goes on to say this, don't get me wrong, I only want to know, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, who are you? What have you sacrificed? Jesus Christ, superstar, do you think you're what they say you are? Th those, you see, are, are the questions that many had then and, and st still have. Who, who are you, Jesus? Did, do you really think? Uh, did you, do you believe the press? Do you really believe that you're the Messiah, the Son of God? Who do you think you are? Those questions remain to the present day. They were the questions asked by the religious leaders of Jesus' day. Who, who do you think you are? And, and by the way, they were not asking the question nicely. <laughs> the battle lines were drawn. And those lines, well, they still exist today. What authority do you think your Jesus has on my life? What indeed. We return this morning to our study of the Gospel of Mark. We have arrived at the last week of Jesus' life. It's called the Passion Week, which refers to his suffering, which, by the way, is the subject of that rock musical, Jesus Christ Superstar. 
I would point out that we are basically two-thirds of the way through the book, just under two years, uh, which means a third of the gospel narratives cover, um, of this gospel covers Jesus last week. In fact, a, a full third of the gospel narratives, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, cover this last week because that's where the emphasis lies. It is the reason for which he came to, to give his life a ransom for many. Please notice, Jesus came to give his life. He didn't let things get out of the hand. He, he gave up his life. By the way, they didn't take it. They couldn't. He was and is the God of the universe. And Jesus went to Jerusalem knowing what awaited him. He is the one who set all of these events into motion. In fact, I would suggest that Jesus threw down the gauntlet. You see, you remember several weeks ago, six months ago in the actual timetable, Jesus told his disciples that they were going to Jerusalem where he would be handed over notice to the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders, those three groups, to be mistreated and killed. But, but he would rise again the third day. That was the first of three times that Jesus told them what awaited him when he arrived in, in Jerusalem. And he went anyway, knowing what was going to happen. He caused it to happen. Six months later, we're there. Mark wants to make sure that we understand we're there. He mentions Jerusalem no less than four times in chapter 11. But again, make no mistake about it, it was Jesus who threw down the gauntlet. Jesus is the one who is controlling all of these events. He pushes over the first domino. On that Sunday, the first day of that final week, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the, on the colt of a donkey while his followers spread their cloaks and, and palm branches from nearby trees. They, they, they spread them in his path. And all the while, they're proclaiming, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. That's, that's messianic. Hosanna in the highest. This was a fulfillment of, of Zechariah 9. The Messiah is supposed to come just this way. Who do, you, who do you think you are, Jesus? He knew who he was. Next day, Monday, he starts the second and third symbolic actions. First, he curses a fig tree, and then he goes in and curses, or I guess I should say cleanses the temple. He goes to the court of the Gentiles and begins cleaning house, overturning Merchant booths doesn't sound like much of a cleansing to me. He drove out all of those who had made a mockery of the temple and the celebration of the Passover. He, he, he drove out, you see, those people who were keeping people from true worship, the true worship of God. Why? Why? Because my father's house should be called a house of prayer for all the nations to include the Gentiles in whose course you've set up business. You made it a robber's den. Judgment, you see, had come against this religious leadership, and Jesus is the one who brought it. But, but, but by what authority? Who do you think you are? He knew who he was. He knew what he was doing. Day three, Tuesday, is completion of that third symbolic action on the way to Jerusalem. Peter saw that fig tree withered from the roots up. You, you see, the day before, it was in full leaf. That means it was advertising... Food, fruit, there's, there's nourishment, there's food, there's, there's rest here, come and get it. And Jesus went and found only leaves, no fruit. It was a case of false advertising. 
So, so he acted out a parable, an object lesson, if you will. He cursed the tree and it, and it withered. He killed it. Why? Because it was a great picture of the religious system of the day. The temple and the, the religious system that the Pharisees and even the Sadducees had, had, had set up. And it looked really good. It, it promised life and nourishment. And come and meet God here. But it only had leaves. Meaning while it looked good from a distance, there was no fruit. There was no life of God there. By cursing the fig tree, Jesus condemned their system. And in addition, he promised something else. Judgment is, is coming. But, 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 but by whose authority? Who do you think you are, Jesus, this morning? We're still in that third day, Tuesday, as we arrive at our text. Look at it with me, Mark 11, verse 27. They, that is Jesus and the disciples, uh, came again to, well, Jerusalem. And as he was walking in the temple, the court of the Gentiles, the, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders, that, that looks familiar. They, they came to him and began saying to him, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do these things? Who do you think you are? Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question and you answer me. And then I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from men? Answer me. They began reasoning among themselves, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say, then, then why did you not believe him? And if we say from men, they don't even answer the, they don't even complete the sentence. They're afraid the people for everyone consider John to have been a real prophet. So answering Jesus, they said, we don't know. And Jesus said to them, Nor will I tell you by what authority I do these things. That is a statement of judgment. It doesn't look like much there. How in the world are you going to get a whole sermon out of that? Don't worry, I've been on vacation a couple of weeks. <laughs> the religious authorities of the day understandably show up and ask Jesus, by what authority are you doing these things? You can't, you can't do this. Who do you think you are? And the... The battle lines which had been drawn throughout his ministry are drawn more starkly by this confrontation. They, they fired the first shot of the verbal battles that will ensue uh, throughout the rest of chapter 12. I want you to know that. Jesus is going to spar with these religious leaders, first with this particular group, whoever they are, and then the, the Pharisees and some Herodians and some Sadducees. Everybody wanted a piece of the action. Everyone wanted a piece of Jesus. They posed him, you see, all on this Tuesday. He will conclude this particular day with a private conversation with his disciples, a conversation that we call the Olivet Discourse, which will, by the way, ultimately bring his death. But, but, but till then, these religious leaders, they seek to trap him. They want to discredit him. They want to belittle him. So they come in, come at him, wave after wave, one by one, and they fail. Keep that in mind. They're trying to catch him, trying to get rid of him. They can't. Not until he allows it. He came, you see, to give his life a ransom for many. That's who he is. The son of man who came to give his life for us. He wasn't confused. He didn't allow things to get out of control. It all happened according to plan. Give the outline of this First verbal battle that we're going to look at today. We're going to see the religious leaders' first attack in this first couple of verses. And we see Jesus' defensive response, which 
which actually proves to be quite offensive and really quite effective. And then, because third, we're going to see the religious leader's dilemma. <laughs> what do we do with that? And, and fourth, when they realize they can't do anything, Jesus concluding touche. Got ya. Is that it? Jesus just shutting them up, or is there something else here? Look at the opening salvo of the religious leaders and set the stage as we begin. Jesus and his disciples made their way to the temple complex, again, probably the court of the Gentiles, and Matthew and Luke tell us he's teaching, Mark just says he's walking along, and these authorities approach him, chief priests, scribes, and elders. Does that sound familiar? That's exactly who Jesus said would mistreat and kill him six months ago. These these three groups, you see, made up the Sanhedrin, the council, the, the, the official ruling religious and even sometimes political body of the day. There were 71 of them, uh, to include the high priest who presided over the council. It is doubtful that they were all there that day, but this was very likely an official delegation sent by the Sanhedrin, go get him, shut him up. The term chief priest is not really an official title. It's not an office necessarily that anyone held. Rather, the term was usually, generally used to speak of members of the higher-ups, the, the priestly aristocracy. We don't know if they were there that day, but this group of chief priests would have included Annas and Caiaphas, who were the high priests who were ruling jointly at that time. Kind of odd. We'll talk about that later. It also included members of their families, as well as other elevated priests who served in very important positions at the temple. You see, this is important. No doubt, given the nature of the question and the approach, the the group would have also included the captain of the temple guard. You see, the captain of the temple guard was number two in command at the temple. And given the fact that Jesus had just made a mess yesterday, we can be sure that he was there. Along with these chief priests came scribes. The, the scribes were the, the experts in the law, the law of Moses, highly regarded by the people. And last were these elders. The elders were, were not necessarily priests. They might have been, but they were lay leaders, largely, included Pharisees and Sadducees and maybe even some scribes. They were leaders who served in this council. All of them together become the Sanhedrin, which makes this an official confrontation. These, this first group that comes are the big guns. The point is, these were the authorities of the day. They had the legal right, I would even suggest the legal responsibility, to ask Jesus the question, who do you think you are? (laughs) By what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do these things? You're not one of us. We didn't grant you authority to do what you're doing. That's important. They were in charge, right? We're in charge. You're not. Who do you think you are? You're not one of us. There's a sense in which they were saying, what credentials do you have? What school did you go to? Which seminary did you attend? What degree did you, have you earned? What diploma is hanging on your wall? Have you been ordained by us? That's important. They wanted you see to know the authority behind the things that Jesus was doing. Namely, what was he doing? Well, teaching with authority, um, healing, driving out demons. Remember the authority they assigned to that when he drove out demons? You're doing that by the power of Beelzebub, the prince of demons. That's your authority. Forgiving sins? Who can forgive sins but God? 
raising the dead. And what's this cleansing the temple thing? Who do you think you are? You have to understand that then no one acted on their own authority. You had to be backed. You had to have some authority behind you. Who's behind you, Jesus? Who's your authority? They had an incredibly elaborate system of ordination. It used to be, actually right before Jesus' day, rabbinical candidates, those wanting to become rabbis or or teachers, had to be ordained by some leading respected rabbi under whose teaching they had served in some kind of apprenticeship for a while. And then the rabbi would ordain them. Then once you were ordained, as you taught, you would quote your rabbi. That's your authority, you see. However, as you would expect, that system had become... um, open to incredible abuse. So by the time Jesus came along, the system had been centralized within the Sanhedrin. Now, you may study under a traveling rabbi, but your ordination, your recognition, your authority ultimately had to come from these guys, this council. Without it, no recognition, no authority, really became just a good old boys club. It had nothing to do with recognizing those who were called and enabled by God, anointed by God. Whose stamp of approval do you have? Jesus had no such recognition. All along, his teaching and actions flew in the face of the prevailing authority and system of the day. Remember earlier, the people said, we've never heard anyone speak with such authority because he spoke not as the scribes, but he he spoke with his own authority. You see, he didn't quote anybody. He didn't quote other rabbis. He would say things like, you have heard it said, but I say to you, what? What? Who do you think you are? No one says that. Jesus comes along, truly, I say to you, teaching with his own authority. Teachings, which, by the way, they didn't like because they flew, they they contradicted their system. Who do you think you are cleansing our temple, throwing out our money changers and our priest-approved sacrifices? By what authority are you doing these things? Of course, you do understand. (laughs) They didn't really care whose authority he claimed to have. They knew it wasn't theirs. And he was violating their system. They were only there to to trap him, to accuse him, to oppose him, to discredit him, and ultimately to do away with him. Back in verse 18, right after he had cleansed the temple, two of these groups, the the, the chief priests and the scribes, the elders weren't there, began seeking as as to how they might destroy him. Because you see, Jesus had thrown down the gauntlet when he rode into Jerusalem the way that he did. That's Messiah work. He threw it in the gauntlet when he cleansed their temple, actually his temple, of their system. By the way, please notice that they tried to trap Jesus in the temple. That is, in front of all the people. See, this is Passover, so people would have been there by the hundreds, maybe thousands that day. They're listening in. They're trying to trap him publicly. That'll become important for the next point. It brings us to Jesus I'm calling it as a defensive response. I think it's rather offensive in the next couple of verses. This is actually classic rabbinical style of debate, uh, answering questions with questions, hoping you ask questions, I ask questions. Hopefully we'll arrive at some consensus or some agreement. This is the standard procedure. But Jesus asks a question that tortures them. Now, when I used to look at the story in the past, I, I, I thought, wow, isn't that great? Jesus is so smart. He just put them right in their place. He answered their question with his own question and got out of answering their question. He ambushes them. That's that's not exactly true. You see, I missed something very important that I want you to catch this morning. He did answer their question 
with his question. Look at it with me. You see, when Jesus speaks of the baptism of John, it was a way of referring to John's entire ministry. We're not talking about just getting wet here, but we're talking about everything that John had said and everything that he had done. And then, so Jesus is asking, do you believe what John taught? Do you accept John's ministry, baptism, all of it, as from heaven or from men? From heaven was a way of saying from God. You didn't say God's name. So from heaven or, f- or from fallen men? response of the religious leaders, they're in trouble. They knew it. If, if we say from heaven or from God, he'll ask us, then, then why did you not believe him? Believe him about what? That's my question. Believe him about what? But if we say from men, again, they don't even finish the sentence with its dreaded consequences. Luke tells us, uh, if we say from men, the people will stone us. <laughs> they knew they're caught. They're in deep trouble. Because the people did see John as a prophet. It had been 400 years since the people of Israel had had a, had a prophet. John, well, he came dressed like a prophet. He spoke like a prophet. He called them to righteousness and repentance like a prophet. And so they had followed him by the thousands and hordes. They'd come out to hear him and they turned from their sin to repentance. And, and he baptized them. They finally had one from God. Actually, they heard from God through one of his prophets. But, but, but the, the religious leaders, they didn't accept John, you see, because he didn't come through their system either. So now they found themselves on the horns of a serious dilemma, and, and, and they knew it. What do we say? Trapped. So they simply respond, from God, from men? We don't know. <laughs> now remember, that they're in front of all of these people. They tried to discredit Jesus in front of the people. Je- Jesus turns the table and discredits them. You're religious leaders. You're supposed to know. You're telling me you don't know if John's a prophet? We don't know. To which Jesus then responded. These are chilling words. This isn't just a touche. Nor will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Notice by answering the way that he does, he is suggesting that he had authority. There was authority behind them. He just didn't tell them where he got it. So, well, he avoided the question, right? Wrong. Not exactly. He gave them the answer. You see, what was John's whole ministry about? Who was this John the Baptist? Mark chapter 1 told us John was the forerunner, the one appointed by God to prepare the way of the Messiah to announce his coming, and that he had done. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold, there's one coming after me who was before me, the thongs of whose sandals I'm not even worthy to untie. In John chapter 1, he actually says these words, I myself have seen and have testified that this, this Jesus, is the Son of God. Jesus, John had declared who Jesus was. He had declared the authority with which Jesus had come. At his baptism, at Jesus' baptism, the very voice of the Father was heard from heaven to say, this is my beloved Son. You want to know, religious leaders, by what authority, by whose authority I'm teaching these things? John told you. Did you believe him? No. No. You didn't, so I won't waste my breath telling you 
what he already said. If we say John was from God, then we will be answering our own question that Jesus also came from God. That's whose authority was behind him. God's authority. They didn't care. They had their own system. They had their own truth. And they, they dismissed Jesus. Far from avoiding their question, Jesus answers it so that any honest seeker of truth, unswayed by public opinion, will not fail to see who Jesus is. While those who are only interested in trapping him will continue to refuse to see the truth. Far from evading their question, he answered them. But, but when they refused to see the obvious, he refused to state the obvious. And by his answer, he placed them under judgment. You won't believe John? You won't believe his teaching? You won't believe my teaching? You won't believe my miracles? Nor will I answer your question. You have to understand that there is a sense in which Jesus said this. You don't, you don't believe the light of truth? There will be no more light for you. you he turned the light of revelation off for them. They had willfully rejected the truth that they had already heard. They held their hands over their eyes and they stopped up their ears. We've seen it all, we've heard it all, and we refuse to believe. And Jesus said, that's it. I'm not going to answer your question. I'm not going to reveal myself to you anymore. You received all that you're going to get. And at this point, from this point on, Jesus opposes them and rebukes them and exposes them for who they are and what they are. In just three days, he will stand before them again, chief priests, scribes, and elders, but this time it will be the entire council. And they will fire question after question, and he will remain silent. He will not answer their questions or accusations then either. Well, for a time. Finally, in chapter 14, they will ask him outright, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed one? Who do you think you are? And he responds, I am. And you shall see the son of man sitting at the right hand of power, coming with the clouds of heaven, and that will not go well for you. It will be judgment time. No more revelation. I'm not going to walk on water for you. I'm not going to do magic tricks for you. I'm not going to raise anybody from the dead. You've heard it. You've seen it. And you refuse to believe it. The light of revelation is off. This is a serious statement that Jesus makes. Folks, we cannot play games. Jesus has revealed himself to us. For some time now, he has been revealing himself to you. You must decide. We can only plug our ears and close our eyes to truth for so long before Jesus says, no more for you. Some of you, 
come week after week because your parents drag you, your roommate drags you, your spouse drags you. You live in the Bible Belt South and it's the things to do. You've heard sermons like this before. You've heard me preach sermons like this before and you tune me out. You plug your ears, you close your eyes. I want you to hear me this morning. You can only do that for so long. What more do you need to believe? Jesus, who do you think you are? He clearly answered. The question is, what will you do with the truth? What will you do? The author of the book of Hebrews says it this way. Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me as in the day of trials in the wilderness. Remember that back in the Pentateuch, the first five books, where your fathers tried me by testing me and saw my works. They saw it. They saw it for 40 years. Therefore, and they refused to believe. Therefore, I was angry with this generation and said, they always go astray in their heart and they did not know my ways as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. It came a point, there came a time when it was too late. The light of revelation was off. Take care, brothers and sisters, lest there should be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart in falling away from the living God. Encourage one another day after day encourage one another. I'm encouraging you day after day as long as it is still today because we have no assurance of tomorrow. Encourage one another day after day as long as it's still called today lest any one of you, I'm talking to you today, unless you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. It's sin or Jesus. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. I, I plead with you today. You've heard it over and over. I plead with you not to harden your heart. Who is Jesus? He is the very Son of God. They had seen it all, they had heard it all, and they had denied it all. And I plead with you not to do that. I know that we are living in a culture and in a, in a society and in a country where it's become quite popular to deny it all. Don't do it. My simple call to you today is to believe the gospel. Jesus proved conclusively who he claimed to be. The answer to the questions from the beginning, Jesus Christ, who are you? What have you sacrificed? Jesus Christ, superstar. Do, do you think that you are what they say you are? His answer was unequivocally, yes. He is the Christ. He is the son of the living God. And he, his sacrifice, what did it accomplish? He died for sins. He it will be for your sins if you will believe. Stand for prayer. Father, this is a somewhat enigmatic um, passage, but as we dive into it, we see the reality of what it says. We see the reality of people who oppose Jesus over and over and over again. Who do you think you are? And he finally says to him, that's it. I will not tell you. 
I've, I've, I've told you. John's told you. You've heard my teaching. You've seen my miracles. That's it. We have people in this country and in this community and in this church week after week and month after month and year after year play games. Seen it, heard it, ho-hum it, not interested. Thank you very much. And there is a limit to your patience. As you swore in your wrath, they will not enter my rest. So my prayer for people today, I know that most here know Jesus, but I am convinced that some don't. And so my prayer is that people will stop playing games. Open eyes, unplug ears, open hearts to receive the hope and truth of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.